The scripture reading today is from Matthew 17, verses 1 through 13. After six days, Jesus took with him Peter, and J- Peter James, and John, the brother of James, and led them up a high mountain by themselves. There he was transfigured before them. His face shone like the sun. His clothes became as white as light. Just then there appeared before them Moses and Elijah talking with Jesus. Peter said to Jesus, Lord, it is good for us to be here. If you wish, I will put up three shelters, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. And while he was speaking, a bright cloud enveloped them, and a voice from the cloud said, This is my son whom I love. With him I am well pleased. Listen to him. When the disciples heard this, they fell face down on the ground, terrified. But Jesus came and touched them. Get up, he said. Don't be afraid. When they looked up, they saw no one else except Jesus. So as they were coming down the mountain, Jesus instructed them, don't tell anyone what you have seen until the Son of Man has been raised from the dead. The disciples asked him, why then do the teachers of the law say that Elijah must come first? And Jesus replied, to be sure, Elijah comes and will restore all things. But I tell you, Elijah has already come. And they did not recognize him, but have done to him everything they wished. In the same way, the Son of Man is going to suffer at their hands. Then the disciples understood that he was talking about to them about John the Baptist. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Shanahan. I'm in the pastor's group with uh, Pastor Chris. We meet about monthly and become good friends over these last few uh, years. And uh, I think he's up enjoying some skiing right now. And he asked if I wasn't available uh, uh, this weekend, which turned out to be the case. I, uh, I do work for my denomination and I'm in a different pulpit almost uh, every Sunday, but delighted to be with you folks. I've been here a, a few times now. It's, I consider it a great privilege, actually, to be here today. And it's always the most humbling honor to preach God's word on, on any given Sunday. So my prayer for us today as we open up these scriptures is that we will walk into God's presence t- together. My prayer is that we would each receive a word from God today that speaks to our very souls. And not just a word for public consumption, but a word from God that speaks to our souls and transforms our lives. Pray with me to that end, please. Dear God, you are just an awesome God. And 
we seek to walk in your presence today and to receive a word from you that is directly from you to us. And we pray for that transforming word from you, Lord, because in these times uh, we need it so badly. So speak to us, Lord, that we may be transformed to lead our lives for you. In the strong name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Well, in our scripture from Matthew 17 today, which Paul read for us, we encounter Jesus and his closest disciples on this Mount of uh, Transfiguration. And, and there he is with uh, Moses, and he's with Elijah. And Jesus has come to be the fulfillment of the law and the fulfillment of the prophets, which these two represent. I believe that one of the manifestations of God's love is how he reveals, reveals himself to his chosen people. So Jesus reveals in a dramatic fashion who he is and why he has come. The transfiguration witnessed by a chosen three disciples is recorded for us that we may also experience his brilliance and to know who he is and to know why he has come. As my seminary professor always uh, said when preaching, you need to somehow put the scripture of the day into some context for the folks listening. So I'm going to bring us up to date a little bit on where we are in the gospel of Matthew. And I want you to picture, if you will, that you're one of the apostles and that you have been walking with Jesus and being discipled by him for about these last three years. And as you get to this point in the journey, you will have already seen and experienced a number of things. There's been a lot to learn and a lot to process and still a lot to wonder about. Because by around chapter 16 in Matthew, the chapter before today's, a number of critical things have happened in Jesus' ministry. So I want to review that narrative uh, that brings us to our passage today. By this point in the gospel, Jesus has given us his radical teaching for kingdom living that we know as the Beatitudes. He has taught us the principles of the kingdom in Matthew chapters 5 through 7. He's already healed a leper and he healed a Gentile centurion servant. He has already cast out demons out of people. He's taught his disciples extensively how they were to conduct their lives and ministries after he was no longer with them. Jesus has challenged the Pharisees and other religious leaders rather gently at first about what it really means to serve God. And he has taught parable after parable of the kingdom. At this point, he's endured the murder of his cousin, John the Baptist, at the hand of Herod. He's fed the 5,000 with a few loaves and fishes. He's ramped up his conversations with the religious leaders because, as he said, they have been breaking God's commands for the sake of their traditions. And then he begins to call the Pharisees hypocrites and blind guides 
whose worship of God was in vain, their teachings nothing but human rules. And at this point, he has specifically warned his disciples about the teaching of the Pharisees, pretty much discrediting them as leaders, leading people astray from God. Numerous miracles have been performed by Jesus. People in general have developed a a huge interest in Jesus as a result of all these things that we've touched on. And Jesus knows this. And so he asked this very important question in Matthew 16. He asked the question, who do people say I am? Now the disciples have had their ear to the ground and so they know the buzz about Jesus and they say, well, some say you're John the Baptist, others say you're Elijah, and others, uh, still others say Jeremiah or, or one of the prophets. But in that Matthew chapter 16 section, we find Peter's confession of Christ. Peter had his own insights that he had not gotten from the crowds, he had not from popular understandings, but his own experience of Jesus and from what God had revealed to him. And Peter says, in that great confession, you are the Christ. You're the son of the living God. Because Peter understands who Jesus is at that point. At that point. But it seems like in the next breath, after Jesus has predicted his own death and said he'd be going away, Peter, in deep sorrow for what Jesus has said, says, it can't be so. (laughs) And Peter's rebuked by Jesus for being human-focused rather than focusing on God's purposes. And Jesus says to Peter, get behind me, Satan. And finally, right before our passage today, We are going to get to the passage today, by the way. Just going through the last 16 chapters real quick. Uh, Right before our passage today, Jesus has just said uh, in Matthew 16, verses 24 and 25, if anyone would come after me, he must deny himself, must take up his cross and follow me. Whoever wants to save his own life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for me will find it. That's the context. And now Jesus is with those three disciples on the way to Jerusalem. He's actually on the way to the cross. Eventually he set his face to that. But clearly there's still some confusion out there about who he is. He, He's spoken so radically and he's spoken with such authority and with all kinds of miracles accompanying his teaching. And it's kind of obvious that Jesus is is quite special. When you include things Jesus says both in Matthew and other gospel accounts, he has made strong claims to be God. He has made it clear that he and the Father are one. He has proven his divinity by miracles. And there shouldn't be much confusion, especially for the disciples as to who Jesus is. But there is some confusion. 
And even for these three among the disciples who are closest to Jesus, for Peter and for James and for John, they're still a little overwhelmed. Who wouldn't be? Who wouldn't be? They've got to be wondering if they've been eating and drinking and walking with and examining the life of God himself. Perhaps it was just too overwhelming for their, their brains to comprehend at this time. But now Jesus takes the three that I mentioned, Peter and the brothers, James and John, for a, it's going to be a mountaintop experience like no other. This journey is going to change them like forever. And each one of us, at one time or another, has wondered who Jesus is. Does he have a place in my life? That's the first question we often ask when we're new to some spiritual things. Can I fit Jesus into my life? Can he be a part of me? But if we go on a journey with Jesus, if we walk in that faith we have and practice being a Christian for long enough, we should get around to maybe a better question than that. It should be, how can I better be a part of his life? How can I be of use to his kingdom? What role is there for me to play that lets me be me, but a me that's empowered by the Holy Spirit of God to live for his purpose, to have my complete identity in him? We all have questions in life, don't we? For now, the disciples' big question is addressed right this moment in Matthew's account. What is that question? The question, who is Jesus? Why does he matter? Is he merely a good man who teaches a good philosophy? Is he just a man with the courage to face big-time leaders and call them out? Is he maybe the deliverer of God promised ages ago? who squashes the enemies of the people of God. Who is this man? Why am I following him? That's likely the bigger question in the minds of these three, each of whom have given up everything they had in order to follow this particular rabbi. So there they are. They're they're walking up this huge mountain, Uh, They're probably tuckered out by now, thirsty, wondering why are we on this mountaintop. Nice view, I guess. And then without any warning, without any kind of heads up about what's going to happen, Jesus changes before them. He transforms in front of their eyes. His face one second is like yours or mine. The next second, it's, it's bright as the sun. It's blinding and radiant. It's throwing light everywhere. And it's exposing every shadow, every dark place, every hidden thing is naked in his sight. And then because that wasn't quite strange enough, his clothes, his clothes became as white as the light that shone around his face. His disciples were gasping. 
wow, no way. Well, they might not have said exactly that, but they were surprised. <laughs> wow. Because they're in shock, right? They've never witnessed anything like this. There's no denying, no justifying, no rationalizing this transfiguration away. Put yourselves in the shoes of these disciples. And they're dumbfounded. And now maybe there's a light that goes on in their minds. This is more, man, this is more than a carpenter. This is more than a rabbi. Wow, he's more than just a great teacher. And he's more than someone who's upsetting the religious status quo. He's more than a little dangerous. He's, he's, he's greater than anything that is, we've ever encountered before. So what's happening on that mountaintop? Simply put, Jesus' appearance transformed in front of the disciples. And their big questions about who Jesus is are given one colossal, entirely unexpected answer. Is this our rabbi that we had breakfast with this morning and now stands before us in this radiant majesty, in all this divine glory? But wait, who's that now standing, talking to Jesus? that Moses? The lawgiver? The one who brought God's law to the people of God? The revered one of our people to whom God appeared in a bush of flaming fire? Is Jesus there standing talking to Moses? We listen to Moses. People listen to Moses. He gave us God's law. And who? Man, who's that other guy? Elijah, the prophet of God, the prophet who demonstrated God's power, vanquishing the false gods with rain and fire. The guy who was so holy he never died, but God took him up in heaven in a whirlwind. Man, what an impressive duo. People have listened to them forever. Elijah's there talking to Moses, talking to Jesus. No way, what can that all mean? Well, Moses is there representing the law. Elijah is there representing the prophets. And both the law and the prophets point to the redemption that God was going to accomplish through his son. Both the law and the prophets pointed to a suffering savior and both the law and the prophets pointed to a victorious Messiah. And both the law and the prophets are all about God and his plan of redemption. <clears throat> and Peter, <laughs> petulant Peter, passionate person that he is, figures, look, look who's Jesus with. I've got to do something. So he says, let's, Lord, Jesus, this is great. It's good to be here. I'll, I'll make some stuff, like a tabernacle or a temple. I'll get a shelter up here for each one of you. One for you and one for Moses, one for Elijah. 
I'll get busy hammering some stuff together here. And then Peter is interrupted by yet more brilliance, more light. A brilliant, bright cloud envelops Jesus and the others. And then a voice rises from that cloud. It says, this is my beloved son whom I love. With him I am well pleased. Listen to him. And the three, Peter, James, and John, they can't do anything other than fall on their faces. Terrified. Wouldn't you? And I can imagine some of that conversation as they got their face in the dirt trying to process what's been happening here today. Wait a minute, Moses is here, the lawgiver. We're supposed to listen to him. He's huge in our world. We should listen to him. And Elijah, who could be more worth giving an ear to than this guy, Elijah? He's a prophet's prophet. We saw the power of God unleashed by his prayers and and the chariot and all that. But there is this voice. There is this voice from the cloud called Jesus, his son. The voice of God, the Father, speaking directly to them. You recall it happened one other time at Jesus' baptism. And there they are with their faces to the ground, shaking at what was happening in front of them. Have you ever been in a situation that was just too big for your brain to figure out? Just can't figure this out. You're desperately trying to process what's going on. And that's where these guys are. Jesus comes to them like he had in the past. One of the disciples were in a boat and the sea raged around them like he said to the woman who'd been bleeding for 12 years. Jesus comes to them and he touches them gently on the shoulder. That spectacle that they just witnessed has passed and now it's just, just the three of them and Jesus now. The lawgiver and the prophet aren't there anymore, but Jesus remains. And he touches them and he speaks to them. It would seem gently. They don't know yet that the fireworks have all ended. And Jesus said, uh, get up. Don't be afraid. And they look and they see no one but Jesus. And sometimes you've been in a situation where your mind is blown and you've looked up and I can't turn anywhere because there's just no one but Jesus. And so they go down the mountain and Jesus tells them, tell no one what happened here until he's been raised from the dead. And they have shared something amazing on their mountaintop experience. Now he's headed to Jerusalem to complete his calling. 
Now, one of these three men, we assume Peter, knew that Jesus was the Messiah. He'd confessed it before, but you know how we are as humans. We can go back and forth. But he knew it by faith. He knew it by his experience of Jesus in, in real time. And he knew it by revelation. And he'd made that confession earlier. And the two others obviously had an idea who Jesus was. John knew as the was known as the disciple that Jesus loved, so they were very close. He probably had a good comprehension. But now they all knew that Jesus was God's son. God the Father had said this exact same words at Jesus' baptism. This is my son, whom I love, in whom I am well pleased. Listen to him. Moses was one through whom God gave the law. Elijah was a prophet of all time. But now God has come in the flesh in Jesus Christ. And they knew that everything and everyone else paled in comparison. Jesus was the greater than anything before or after or to come after. Jesus is greater than. They knew their future was wrapped up in listening to Jesus and serving Jesus and loving him and doing what he said to do. So the question for all time, for all of us, the most important philosophical question anyone has ever or will ever be asked, the most practical question, practical simply because it's the most positively life-altering question anyone can answer. And what's the question? It's Jesus' simple question to his disciples. Who do you say I am? Who do you say I am? Is what Jesus asks you. And some people would say, well, those who saw and those who witnessed that, well, of course, they, they got to believe, right? They were blessed to be eyewitnesses of this momentous event. They didn't really have a choice, did they? Except, of course, that Jesus had already done all kinds of things that were proof of his divinity. He performed this miracle and that miracle, and some believed, and others walked away just indifferent. Some were mildly amused. Some had no room in their hearts, clearly, for the Son of God. Better things to do, apparently. And still others who were direct witnesses to Jesus' irrefutable miracles chose to respond by plotting to murder him, to remove the problem of Jesus, to blot him out of their lives so they could just get on with their lives as usual. But for the disciples who witnessed the transfiguration, how could they refuse him now? And for the other followers of Jesus who also saw or heard the spoken testimony, or eventually who read the written testimonies of the disciples, what we know as the Gospels, how could they refuse them now? I have to tell you that the choices we face are the same as the people faced then. And we know that people refused and 
rejected Jesus then and we know that people continue to refuse and reject Jesus now. And they not only reject him, they, they mock him, they refuse to accept him, even when they have seen his brilliance. So the question today is, what about you? Have you had the transforming brilliance of Jesus shine into your life in such a way that you could do no other than to accept him as your Lord and Savior. Because there's no greater opportunity for a new life awaits you than in your answer to Jesus' question, who do you say I am? Because there is no more important question that you will ever consider. Will you answer as Peter answered? Jesus, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. Will you listen to God the Father who says, This is my Son, whom I love. In him I am well pleased. Listen to him. Will you accept Christ for who he is? The Son of God who came to take away the sins of the world? Because we know that when the word of God is preached, lives are changed. Lives can be transformed. If you felt the leading of the Holy Spirit this morning, don't let that sun go down without investigating the claims of Christ, talking to a Christian, seeing that brilliance for yourself. It's the most important question you could ever ask. Who's Jesus? Who do you say I am? Let's pray. Dear Lord, we thank you for this account today of a, a mountaintop experience that was like no other. We can't imagine being there as you were transfigured before the three, with you demonstrating being the fulfillment of the law and the fulfillment of the prophets, the one that was prophesied to come for the healing of the world. Lord Jesus, we weren't eyewitnesses, but You have left a living proof that is as brilliant as your brilliance today. May we in faith echo Peter by saying that yes, yes, you are the Christ. You're the Holy One of God. And you are the Messiah who came to save us. May we have faith to live out that truth. In Jesus' name, amen.